if you were the Blackhawks, how long would you ride that goal song? Which one, which one is theirs? I know da, da, I, da, Chelsea da, da, or something da, like that. Da, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I mean, we're talking about three cup runs in now with this. I da, think you da, probably, da, I think you think you probably stick with it until Kane Taves are gone, right? Like until this core is. So you married different. to that for that long, huh? I I think you have to. The be. Sabers had a vote this year. Yeah. Right, and what one? Let me clear my throat. Is that what it's called? So I hope we do not go on a run until <laughs> we revote. I don't want to be stuck with let me clear my throat until. By DJ Cool? I don't want to be stuck with that for the entire Reinhardt Kane era. You know what? When I first Eichel. heard uh, that that was in the running, I'm like, what a weird choice. There's like a good section of it that they use, I guess. But, yeah, that's it's an odd hockey choice. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the end of uh, Joe Buck week. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. What'd you think of Joe Buck? He was good. He was uh, he was ready to do it. I don't know if he was extra ready because of the like the way you met was or whatever started to converse was like, hey, I'd love to get you on the show, and he's like, anytime. And maybe he wanted to appear like the anytime type of guy. Like right. I, I don't know if that was I called him on it. Right. Yeah. So. But he was. He was yeah. definitely the up for anything. Uh, I can't remember who those commercials are, but that's what he was. That's how he sounded on the podcast. He like, gave us I'm a little something unique with the Kate Hudson story. Yeah. He said that wasn't out there. Right, right. So that was cool. Uh, he busted your chops a little bit, too. I can't remember about what, though. Like, Not like just like you – know, he was playful. He was more playful than I think people expect out of Joe Buck. My brother sent me a message. He's like, I like Joe Buck so much more after that now. Yeah, and I think people, who, if they watch the show, the interview show, um, undeniable, would get that. Too. I think they'll get yeah. that too because I think he does get to, to show a different side, and I think that was the idea of the HBO show, and it just got derailed because of the whole Artie Lang, Artie Lang thing and how HBO handled that. Really, not I, how Buck or Lang handled it, but how HBO just like blew it out for whatever reason. Right? Yeah, I was wondering if uh, you would bring that up because I know you're a. Yeah, I know You're it's something he doesn't like to down. talk about. Right. I know on his Twitter profile for a long time it said like topics to RIP Artie Lang, okay. comma nepotism. Okay. So, I don't know. You only got 30 minutes. Do you need to talk to him about something that everyone has talked to him about for the last 10 years? Right. And he I brought up, he brought up the nepotism thing himself kind of too. He got to that. So, he was good. I I I enjoyed it a lot. Today is Season 5, Episode 39. It's December 8th, 2015. Uh, after today, we'll have two shows. I'll have two shows left. I only have one show left. Don is not going to be here next week. He'll be in the basement Yeah. Uh, with a predetermined uh, scurvy. <laughs> uh, so he will be out next week. Adam Lazarus will fill in for Don next week. Uh, and then we will be back for the season finale of Episode – or Season 5 in two weeks. Today on the podcast – uh, sportscasters royalty. Uh, there's only one king of the sportscasters. And, of course, that's Lee Jenkins. Okay. Uh, and he'll be on today. He'll start us off. He'll talk about Kobe Bryant. Uh, we recorded this interview last week, which was, um, I think, the day after or two days after Kobe Bryant announced his retirement. Now, obviously, Lee's been covering the NBA in Los Angeles for a long time now. 
Which, thankfully, that's the case. Because it always feels like that's the type of thing, like you hang the phone up with Lee, and then somebody announces. Right. Like, well, you know, we hung, up, we hung up the phone with Lee, and then, like, the next day, the new SI came, and he's got a big article with LeBron James oh. in there, and I didn't know ahead of time. So right. we don't get into... Those guys keep that a secret a little bit. Yeah, we don't get into his article about LeBron James much because I didn't know about it yet. I'm sure he'll be back. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, and also on the podcast, the debut. So we got the leader... At 21. Okay. And a number one, Don Jameson. Oh, okay. Comedian, yeah, Don yeah. Jameson. I said that funny. Uh, makes his debut to talk about terrorizing telemarketers. Uh, so we have a lot to do with those two interviews and, of course, uh, the book club. And uh, one last thing. We'll get it started with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, the college football playoffs are set, and the ridiculousness of it all means I have to decide if I want to pass up on the $150 dinner that my in-laws buy me every New Year's, or if I want to watch the Oklahoma game. What, when is it? Oklahoma will play New Year's number Eve. one Clemson on like, New Year's Eve at 4 p.m. Oh. So when do you eat dinner and not miss that game? There's no time. Yeah. The best you can do is try to get everyone to agree to four and then see if you're back for the second half. Okay. But with it being New Year's Eve, sometimes people work. Sure. So I don't know. Now, so, I know if it was a Saints game, that would never be an option no. to miss the first half. So where are you at in your Oklahoma fandom? I probably won't be going to New Year's dinner. Okay. Okay. I mean, I've watched every OU game this year. It might be kind of weird to not see that one. See that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they could. Not a late dinner. Maybe like seventh. Well, I guess then you're bumping up against the ball drop and all that nonsense. So. It's just a really weird, ridiculous idea. New Year's Day was perfect. Nothing happens on New Year's Day. Why they moved it, I have no idea. Right. People sit around watching TV to get their hangover. And I knew that Alabama would be the late game. So getting bumped by Michigan State was a bummer. Because uh, as soon as they, they released all this stuff real funny, too. At 12 o'clock on Sunday, they announced the four teams that were in the in the playoffs. Then they did a show at 3 o'clock where they announced the rest of the teams and the times. But as soon as I like the other bowl games, yeah, the yeah, other, yeah. So you know, um, as soon as I noticed that Alabama and Michigan State was a game, I said, "Okay, that's the late one, obviously." Mm-hmm. Um, so that sucks. Why do them both on the same day? Well, because you have to play a championship game the following week, so you're gonna either give oh, someone, give an, someone an extra day. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you play the NFC and AFC championship game on the same day. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So they're not skipping a. A week? Oh no, they skipped weeks now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The games are New Year's Eve. It's December thirty first. Right, right. Oklahoma hasn't played in two weeks already. It's so bizarre. Uh, also, on Saturday, they're going to announce the Heisman finalist or the Heisman Trophy winner. The finalists were announced this week. Derrick Henry. Uh, he's a running back from Alabama, and he's a very boring running back. I mean, he's very Four yards and a cloud of very dust. much a boring running back. Yeah. Uh, Christian McCaffrey's uh, all-purpose back from Stanford, and he's the opposite of Henry. 
Okay. Small and exciting and fast, and he's catching it, he's running it, he's throwing it. He's just a little crazy little white guy. Yeah. And then the third is Deshaun Watson, the quarterback from Clemson. Who is the kid, or was he not on there, that you talked about that might just consider redshirting it? Like Four not. Oh, he did not make he it. He did not make it. Injury? No, just basically everyone said, all right, we're just going to not let you run. Oh, okay. And dare you to pass. Yeah. And they couldn't. <laughs> so Bummer. Yeah. Somewhere around the Alabama game, Alabama decided, all right, if we're going to lose to LSU, it's not going to be because Fournette rushes for mm. 250 yards. And they played like 9 to 10 in the box per play. And Got the Todd Gurley, St. Louis Rams yeah, treatment. Yeah. Didn't do it. So one of those three guys that win the Heisman, I don't know how memorable of a Heisman winner. Yeah, I was going to say, none of those guys sound all that projectable. My guess NFL. is Derrick Henry's going to win, which okay. is going to be very similar to Mark Ingram. Okay. I think they're relatively similar players. Sure. So, congratulations. <laughs> uh, but that's the Heisman. Uh, yeah, no Fournette, no, uh, no use quarterback. Uh, who is a walk-on. Yeah, no quarterbacks there at all, huh? Is yeah, that... no, the Clemson quarterback. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but no Baker Mayfield, no Leonard Fournette. So, and uh, Fournette is another one of these guys who, like, you know, had it locked up during the year and then doesn't even make the finals. So, it is what it is. College football update. Are you going to watch playoffs? I typically do. I mean, I shouldn't say that about the playoffs. Might be tough for the first two, but. But, I'm uh, going to watch the finals. Yeah, the I, I typically watch the final. Yeah. All right. Uh, a couple of football things I want to talk about. So Johnny Manziel gets to come back yep. uh, after being banished to third string forever for naughty behavior. <laughs> uh, I guess they realized just what they had. Did this kid get hurt or just he was so bad uh, that they just couldn't deal with it I anymore? I honestly or? didn't pay any attention to the yeah, Browns well, game. Manziel is back, so let that circus begin. DeMarco Murray met with the owner of the Eagles on his private plane. So now Murray is a high-character guy. Nobody really doubts that about him. And I think he's made it clear he doesn't want to be a distraction. So I wonder if he had already talked to Chip. And Chip said you should talk to the owner. I wonder if this is about what they can do because if they cut him, it's like $13 in dead money on the cap next year. He's almost Mm -hmm. uncuttable and untradeable. Yeah, I when Chip Kelly came into the league was when the same year the Bills hired Doug Marone and the Bills were kind of sold like he's going to be Chip Kelly light, which he was nothing like that. But this isn't about Doug Marone. Uh, I like the idea of Chip Kelly, but like it's one of those things where there's smoke, there's fire, and if people keep having problems with him, I mean maybe he's it just gotta, seems and it seems weird that he can't find something good to do with Demarco Murray. Yeah, I mean Demarco Murray is a pretty good player. Right. I mean, he's not getting the most out of any of his players this year, really. I mean, they've been – they might be first in their division Yeah, but still only because – no, Washington of, is still technically first. Are they even after the loss? Yeah, yeah okay. we'll talk about that in a second. But. but, yeah, I mean, he's rubbing people the wrong way as they leave. The Bills are already talking about beating the Eagles for Shady. Yeah, McCoy said wrong. he needs he needs my teammates this week or something, he said. Yeah, yeah. And then tried to downplay it as, like – 
Oh, no. Well, all right. You yeah. got to say that. But Deshaun Jackson. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have negative things to say about Chip Kelly, and they're not producing this year. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe Bullet dodged, I guess. Uh, Mike Zimmer um, made some pretty obvious statements which resulted in I had to click on a link that said Mike Zimmer admits Peterson should get more than eight carries. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was the headline. Okay. So we got some quotes from him here after uh, Peterson's frustrating eight carry eight time eighteen yard performance in a shellacking the hands of the Seahawks. That is amazing. I mean, I know people will say like game flow dictates certain types of offense, right. but at some point that game was only fourteen nothing or something right. like that, and you just. Peterson added, the Vikings are outcoached. I don't really worry about other people's opinion, Zimmer said. I just worry about what I think. Um, Someone asked him if they should have gotten the the ball in Peterson's hands more. And Zimmer said, probably should. Matter of factly. Um, That team is... It's the first game he's played without double-digit carries since week 14 of 2013 and the 18 yards was the third lowest in his career. Yeah. I remember back a few years, I think it was Kansas city that had a real hot start. Um, they had a good record at this point in the season. And I thought that is the worst, whatever their record was team in the league. That's gotta be Minnesota, right? Like how are they eight and four? Yeah. And now here's, this, this is great. So Peterson, uh, okay. So they, they got into an early deficit. As you mentioned, game flow. Um, but with 125 yards of total offense, throwing clearly didn't work either. The Vikings, <laughs> the Vikings are 0 and 4 when Peterson has fewer than 17 carries this season. Okay, they are 8 and 0 when he has 17 plus carries this season. When you have a back as dominating as Peterson has been this season and can take it on the take it to the house and he snap, got to give it to him. Um, so I don't get it. I don't get that team. Here's going to be this is that what's going to quarterback happen. is Chad Pennington part 2. Yeah. I mean, he cannot he throws just ducks. He's just uh I just, remember watching him in college a little bit though. He did things effortlessly. It looks like he had an arm, but geez, I don't know. But um they are going to probably make the playoffs and before, before we move on, I want right. to talk about the playoff picture a bit. What's going to happen with them is they're going to be like the five seed. And That's where they'd be now. And they'd play the four seed, which would be the, the NFC East winner. Right. So they're going to go on to play. Now, I know you say this every year that this happens every year, but. And it, it generally does. This is epically bad so far. Right. Because who knows how well they're going to struggle to get yeah. to nine and seven. Oh, they're not getting to nine and seven. Well, right. They Any team to, to get there out. would have to yeah. win out. Right. Uh, I don't know what they're. The Cowboys are one back at four and eight. I know that's awesome. The uh, Packers and Seahawks would be a nice wild card game right now. Yeah, uh, seven and five versus eight and four. Uh, Chiefs and Colts and Jets and Patriots would be the wild cards in the AFC. Uh, Bengals, Broncos, Panthers, and Cardinals would get the buys. So this is a pretty fun thing. So like they have this in the hunt. They have a really nice thing on NFL.com to look okay. at that lays it all out, and it's got an in the hunt thing. And the Saints are listed at four and eight. So it's like oh. Now, they're the 14th seed, mind you, in the league. So I'm like, oh, I wonder if I can find out what their actual percentage is. Okay. I found it. It's 0.006. 
They have a point zero zero six chance of making the playoffs because they they're not going to win. They can't win their division. No, it's clinched. So they'd have to get to eight and eight, which means Minnesota would have to lose out. Or actually, who's the next seed? Seattle would have to lose out. Or Seattle would have to go one and three, and then whatever the tiebreaker is. Yeah, so no, it doesn't look good. <laughs> but it's point zero zero six four. That's it. about as low as you can be yep. and still be in the hunt. What is the? I'm asking you questions. Yeah, I no, I don't know what the Bills' okay. percentage is. Um, I, I told you what the Bills are going to do, though. You asked last, last week if they were done, and I said yes. Or what? Did you, I can't remember how you worded it. Something like, "Do that? Can they? Do they have a chance?" And I said they had a chance to make it look like they have a chance. And that's what they're going to do. They're 6-6 six and six right now. They beat Houston. They have three in a row against the NFC East. Yeah, they have a relatively easy schedule. It's just, and then the Jets. I, I mean, maybe that's your playoffs. I guess if you're the Bills, it's what you hope for. It comes down to that game for your playoff. So, And that'd be at home. It'd be a fun day at Ralph Wilson Stadium. Sure would. I, I don't see it. I mean, even if they won, what are their odds even if they went out? I mean, 10-6, and six, you'd have to beat the Jets. So I guess you'd pass the Jets. I guess pretty good. So I don't know. No, but, ten and six would be would only yeah, I guess would beat the Jets, but wouldn't help if the Steelers went out. The Steelers and the Chiefs went out. Ten and six doesn't help. Doesn't the Bills. do it. Right. Yeah. I don't know that I think either of those teams can win the out. The Steelers have two really tough games coming up. The Steelers have um at Cincy and then home against the Broncos. So you gotta figure they're gonna split those. Yeah, I think the Bills, like I said, yeah. I still stand by they're gonna do just enough. To make it really interesting and then miss out. I the Kansas City game was a killer, especially with how well they played the first half. Like you just can't let that game go. It seems like forever we've been talking about Patrick Kane and the Warriors and their streaks. Uh and we're oh, gonna the Warriors, yeah, yeah. We're gonna okay. go to press tonight with both of these streaks at twenty two and counting. Uh Patrick Kane extended his we played the highlight off the top, extended his point streak with a hand pass. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, they're, in his own they're zone. legal in the own zone. Right, right. But, yeah, he gloved it over to an opponent who skated it down to the empty net. And if it ends there, it'll be an interesting streak because it started with a Kane empty net goal and would end with a Kane empty net assist. Huh. Uh, but he did manage to now set the Blackhawks' all-time record. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, it's 51 for Gretzky, so he's still got a ways to go for that. Uh, but, I mean, I'm sure there's advanced stats guys out there that would adjust this for inflation and somehow rank it. I mean, if oh, this is... Oh, because of the dead puck era right, versus right, Gretzky right. or whatever. Yeah, I mean, Gretzky's era, he had 200, and I'm sure there were 10 guys that had over 100 points that year, if not more. So When we went on break for Thanksgiving, I guess, uh, we talked about how the Warriors were undefeated but probably wouldn't be when we got back. Yeah. Oops. And <laughs> they're still going. They're 22-0. and 0. Uh, and that's nuts. And we're going to talk about that with Lee Jenkins. Uh, and we also talked to Lee about the Kobe Bryant retirement. Um, and I guess that was one last thing to mention here before we move on. Kobe Bryant's retiring. Um, yeah, he's one of the best, obviously, that's played in my lifetime. Sure. Uh, fun to watch, for sure, because he shoots it. Uh, yeah, he hasn't, a ton. hasn't seen a shot he didn't like <laughs> right. uh, in his career. But we'll get into that stuff with Lee, the Warriors. Uh, and Kobe more. We'll get to him in a second. But yeah, 22 and counting for Kane. Um, it'd be cool to see him get to 30. Sure. Yeah, make it interesting. Yeah. Did, what's the. Uh, nah, never mind. I'm going to ask you a question again. You're not going to know. That's bad radio. I got to figure that out. All right, then let's just end it. That's it for three things. And let's take a break. And we will come back and talk about the Warriors and Kobe Bryant 
and we'll do it with Lee Jenkins. All right, our next guest is from San Diego, California, and a graduate of Vanderbilt, and he is a sportscaster's legend. He needs no introduction around here. He's making his 21st appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscasters, welcome to the great Lee Jenkins. What's going on, Lee? Hey, Steve. How are you? Oh, so excited to have you back on. Missed you. That's such an introduction. Thank you, man. Well, you know, like uh, Tom Brady, there's always these Tom Brady tweets as, you know, the greatest of all time. When it comes to sportscasters, guests are the greatest of all time. Oh, yeah. Sure. Well, thanks you know? for having me. I appreciate it. Nobody's been kinder. No one's come on more. You know, it's funny. Um, I always, for whatever reason, when I do the intros, I always say how many times someone's been on. And when someone gets to, like, five-ish, they want to know where they stand, you know? And then they'll be like, well, who's the best or who's been on the most? And I'll tell them, they'll be like, how many times? They'll be like, wow. Well, uh, yeah, he's a good guy. That's a good one. <laughs> like he's, not, he's not working. <laughs> so, uh, but it's good to have you back. And, um, you know, I resisted kind of uh, getting to you earlier because I wanted to try something. I mean, we always talk around a month before now. And we kind of look at the league and we say what you say, what you think might happen, uh, where the strengths are, where the weaknesses are. But I thought, I thought, why don't this year, why don't we let them play a bit? Why don't we let them get 20-ish games under their belt and then do it and then see what Lee sees. But before we even get to that, obviously the news recently that Kobe Bryant is playing his last year in the NBA, and you've written some great stuff for SI about Kobe Bryant over the years and have been working in L.A. for a while now. Um, obviously, not too many people were surprised, I don't think, when the news uh, dropped. What, what was your re- initial reaction when you heard this would be the last year? Yeah, I mean, he, he had to do it, you know, and it was – otherwise, it just would have been – it would have been just kind of – it's going to be a hard few months anyway, hard six months or whatever it's going to be. I guess not that many anymore. Um, but – it would have been just brutal and it would have been a lot of kind of criticism over how he plays and why he plays that way. And some of that will still be there, but I think that it'll kind of now veer more into appreciation and that look, this is the way the guy plays. It's the way he played from the beginning. It's what made him great at the end. Now it's definitely less than ideal um, for the organization, but they now know, you know, what they're going to have moving forward as far as cap space and, yeah, I think it brings closure and, and some relief to a lot of people um, in Los Angeles who really didn't want to see this drag out any longer than it has because it's already been a really awkward few years, you know, for the Lakers, for their fans. And now, you know, they can just kind of celebrate the guy um, and thank him for all he's done and move on. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, he, he, like, he occupies a really special place um, in Los Angeles, but also in the NBA and even in the global you know, the global NBA construct. Um, and even though he said he doesn't want the goodwill tour, the, you know, goodbye tour and all the gifts in all the cities, you know, Kobe Bryant likes legacy burnishing, mm-hmm. and I think he'll, he'll enjoy some of that. Yeah, and, you know, the, the athletes do get at least publicly squeamish about that, but I think everyone else kind of enjoys it. I think the fans enjoy it. We've seen it with Mariano Rivera a few years ago or Derek mm-hmm. Jeter uh, last year i guess that's sort of two years ago now since they played a whole baseball season but 
you know, I think everyone kind of likes it. People like the chance to be able to thank someone and say goodbye to someone, especially someone on the level of a Kobe Bryant. No, I think they do. I think they really do. And I think he, you know, I think he means a lot, particularly, I mean, I think he means a lot to these players, not necessarily because they know him all that well or it's much of an intimate relationship, but so many of them grew up watching him on TV. And to me, a lot of the appeal of Kobe um, is of just kind of sitting back and watching him and saying, wow, that's a shot I may not see you know, made again or taken again, the degree of difficulty of the shots, that period in the, in the 2000s where if you just put on TV and you're a casual fan, maybe you're not bothered, he's not giving the ball up or, you know, helping his teammates that much, that it's just the pure, pure entertainment of his shot making was something to see. And I think for a lot of people, there was just so much entertainment value in the way he played. Uh, and that counts for a lot. And the other part of it, Steve, is just, the NBA is a star's league, and he was a huge star, and he loved being a star, and he kind of made himself even to a bigger star. And so much conversation, so much of this, you know, he kind of came of age in this, you know, this new information age where there's so much, you know, so much talk radio, so many blogs, so much conversation. And if you think about how much Kobe Bryant contributed to the maw of that, how much you know, just how much his whole life, his whole career, uh, how much there was to talk about and parse and the narrative swinging wildly one way and back the other way. And I think there was, you know, there was a real contribution there to just just the NBA in general. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the entertainment value. I don't know how many times I heard something like, hey, Kobe's got 61 in the garden in the third, you know, and you just had to find that fourth quarter. Or you had exactly. to get to that and see, you know, how many he was going to score. I mean, the nights when he was, the nights when he was at his best, you, that was must watch for not even basketball fans, just sports fans in general. It's just something you, you had to see that. Yeah, and it, and sometimes basketball fans are the ones who are, you know, I think toughest on him and kind of nitpick him the most when I think people like that just they just want to see a spectacle. You know, they just want to see something, see an athlete do something. They don't see every day, and they don't see many times before. And Kobe delivered on that. You know, he delivered on that time and again, and he would give it to you. You know, I live in Los Angeles, and on all on a lot of those, you never knew when it was going to be. It could be a Tuesday night in Charlotte or a Thursday night in Memphis, and he would get hot, and he would just he would really go. And he and he gave he gave it to you every time, and pretty much every time you watched him when he was in his prime, he was making shots that you wondered how he had the gall to take. And then how he had the ability to make, and that was sort of, you know, I think part of his, a big part of his legacy. You know, I don't know if it's now or later in the year, or the end of the year, or maybe even five years from now. But when the word comes down from Sports Illustrated to Lee, and they say, "Put Kobe Bryant's career into historical context," how do you think you'll do it? Um, well, I'm going to try to do it in some ways as he's gone. It's been, it's been such a slow burn here at the end. Um, you know, he's not, he's not the best player ever or anything like that. He's probably not the best Laker ever. You know, I think most people say Magic Johnson. Um, you know, but definitely as far as one of the best scorers, one of the best shot makers, 
he had a different kind of career because he was he was kind of a loner. You know, he wasn't really as much part of the group. And I think that'll be the one thing people the only caveat for him is like, was he a great leader? Was he a great team player? Um, you know, it'll be more about the one man performance. And he was, in terms of being a performer, being a star, having this kind of star quality that resonates with people. Um, you know, people overseas even. I think in those areas, he's. You know, he's near the top of the list. Lamar Odom once told me, like, that what motivates him, we were talking about Kobe and Jordan, and, you know, it was kind of, it was when Kobe was on the way to his fifth title, and we were talking about, like, what that would mean, and a fifth, and a sixth, and Jordan, and Lamar said, like, what he, he's motivated by is this conversation. He's just having this conversation. He's not Jordan. He never reached that point, but I think he's in the conversation, and I think for, for Kobe, that would mean an awful lot. He put himself there. He scored more points than Jordan. And when you think about how many minutes he played, how many high-stress minutes, hard minutes, and when you stand next to him, he's not, he's not that big. He's kind of slender. I mean, he's tall, but he doesn't, you know, compared to, like, LeBron, and I mean, now Curry's kind of changed things, but, like, Wade and a lot of these guys are really solid, you know, Harden, Westbrook. Like, Kobe seems slight by comparison. When you think about all the miles, what he kind of gave to the game, um, he, you know, I think he gave pretty much everything he had. Do you think what happened with Shaq and the feud there, and maybe is there a perception that his ego maybe left a few championships on the table for the organization? Yeah, I think both their egos. Yeah. I think um, I don't. And I don't think it was all ego. I, I mean, I think a lot. You know, I think a lot of it was. I mean, I, I have no doubt that Shaq frustrated him to no end because you know, Shaq doesn't work out like Kobe. He doesn't stay in shape like Kobe. He, you know, doesn't have that kind of serious mentality. He was more goofy. And I think Kobe probably should have had the ability to say, "Yes, he's all those things," but he's also dominant, one of the most dominant centers who ever lived, and I kind of need him. And it was, you know, an act of hubris to think that he could do it without him. And he paid the price for the next several years. And even though a lot of those big scoring nights came in those several years, he didn't win as much as he wanted to or as much as he should have. So there was kind of, his prime was really when he was putting up those huge numbers, but when he was irrelevant as far as the playoff picture. And so I'm sure looking back, they would have if they had to do it over again, I'm sure they would just be frustrated as heck with each other, um, but kind of look past it for the sake of picking off another another title or two. But, you know, they did get three. And, right. you know, people talk about it like it was, a you know, a, a national tragedy that they split. And they, they should have probably gotten four or maybe five. But it, at some point, it's still a lot of titles. I mean, to win three titles together was still, you know, they did a lot of damage. They, they made it work for a while. Charles Barkley would take three, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people. And, and that's the thing I think the Lakers view this as. is like it's been an unfortunate last three years. It's been, you know, but I think they look at it almost like taxes. Like they're being taxed on five titles. And this very, you know, at times challenging, single-minded, stubborn person, highly gifted person, he got them five titles. And so if they have to deal with a few awkward years – and I think that's a trade they're willing to make. How did you enjoy him? What kind of a guy was he to cover when you interacted with him? 
he's one of my, I mean, he's one of my favorite people I've ever interviewed. Wow. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I don't know when he was in his prime, like after Colorado and to, to 2010, I think he was more difficult and, you know, very short with the media and kind of terse. And I didn't really see him. I didn't cover the league then, so I didn't really see him as much then. And I think as he got older, he sort of he sort of realized um, at some point that he wanted to talk, that he wanted to kind of be known. And so he sort of changed into this nutty uncle who would kind of say whatever was on his mind, it seemed like. Um, and, you know, I'm sure part of it was motivated by, you know, this idea of burnishing his legacy and, you know, kind of letting people understand his impact. But I thought it was really refreshing that he kind of wanted to be known in that way. And so when I, like, I sat with him for a couple interviews, and they were long. I mean, I once went to breakfast with him for a story, and it was, I think it was two and a half hours. Uh. And he just talked and talked and talked. And there are times I felt like I could just walk away from the tape, and he would just keep talking. <laughs> um, and he's that kind of a storyteller. Like, he, his, he's, like what he wants to do now is be part of well, he wants his media company that or his company founded to tell stories. He's an inherent, he's a natural storyteller. He speaks in stories. Like he'll talk about some random thing from third grade and high, you know, when he was a kid and tell stories about living abroad and how they've affected who he is now. And I mean, really as insightful and as reflective and like accessible an interview subject as you can get. Not, you shouldn't say accessible. He's not always easy to wrangle. But when you can get him, it's, um, it's a pretty great experience. I mean, it really, it, I, I don't, Peyton Manning, I put up there too. Like, I've gotten a chance to interview both of them in depth multiple times. I think Peyton's right there. But there's, some, there's been something about Kobe the last few years. I mean, it's like, it's a highlight of my career, a highlight of my life, really, getting to interview him in depth like that. Wow. You know, not everyone gets to hit a walk-off in their last at-bat at Yankee Stadium like Derek Jeter did, but I hope that Kobe Bryant gets one more great moment in front of those fans. And well, it's funny you said his last game is Utah, and, you know, Utah is so important um, to his arc because of the air balls and the playoffs when he was a rookie, and it was like, it was so emblematic that he had, that like, like he had the guts to, to take those shots down the stretch as just, I think he was 18, 18 year old kid. Um, and he airballed them. And I think it's a big, it's a big part of his journey. Like I asked D'Angelo Russell, the Lakers rookie, I said, what's your favorite Kobe memory? And he said, the airballs against Utah. And, and I don't even think Russell, if he was born, he would have been like a year old or something. At the time. There's no way he remembers it. But people know that it's like, that was the jumping off point. You know, that was the beginning. That summer was when he was kind of, all right, I'm going to commit to, I got to commit to this even harder. And, that was kind of when I think a lot of that NBA fuel um, was poured into him. So it, it's like it would be so perfect if he made did make a walk-off shot against the Jazz, yeah, but an air ball would also be poetic in its own way. <laughs> the Sportscasters are here with uh, Sportscasters Royalty, Lee Jenkins. Uh, Lee, let's talk about the league a little bit. And obviously, at this point, I mean, nineteen and zero, right? Yeah, at the, crazy. The time that we're talking, you know, it's funny. We, Don and I, recorded uh, the last episode we did. We recorded it. Uh, I guess almost two full weeks ago now, because we kind of put a show out late to kind of serve for both weeks during Thanksgiving week, and we we did a check in of all the leagues, and maybe they were twelve and zero, something like that. 
And I said, yeah, you know, Golden State, they're top of the NBA. They're undefeated. They probably won't be undefeated when we record our next show um, because that's, you know. But, uh, yep, here we are, next show, and they're still undefeated, 19-0. and 0. Yeah, I mean, they're amazing. It's, uh, you know, it's hard to believe they've gotten better, but I think they have. I think that they play so much of their game, I think, is confidence. You know, Curry would say that. Like, so much of what he does is based on confidence. And it's weird to say that when you're that good that you need confidence. But a lot of NBA players say that, especially shooters. They need confidence. And I think the championship infused them with confidence. Now these wins, it's sort of it's perpetuating itself. It's like a snowball um, they're just playing with so much freedom, so much confidence, and you can tell they're just, I think they're just enjoying the moment of competition. You know, does it make sense that they're doing this? Should they back off, you know, take their foot off the gas a little bit, rest a little more, let a few games go? Maybe. The Spurs would probably say, yeah, but I think they're just, they're just enjoying the competition and enjoying each game for what it is, and they've kind of, I think Clay Thompson said, we've become addicted to winning. And that's a little bit of what it is. And I think they're also sending a message to the league. Like, you know, going into this season, I kind of thought, you know, Oklahoma City will be right there, and the Spurs, and the Cavs, and there are all these good teams. And now you kind of wonder, is everybody just playing for second? Like, is is this team, is this a forever team now? Um, and they may be. They may be. But look, and it's also a long time between December to June. And right. if last year taught us anything, it's it's a battle of attrition, and they got to stay healthy. You know, Curry and Green have to be healthy because it's not as though that team is like overwhelms you with individual talent. It's those two guys and the way they fit into this overall you know system um, that they have there, and it's it's really a blast to watch. And they're you know they're they're just incredible. But most teams in the NBA, I feel like it's a loser that comes back with a lot of hunger. You know, and with these guys, it was the opposite. It's like they won it, and they've come back better. You know, th- this might be a very subjective question, and that's okay, but I've been conditioned to think for a long time that LeBron James is the best player in the NBA. Is it possible that, as we talk right now, Steph Curry's past him? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is possible. It is possible. I don't, you know, I'm not ready to say that quite yet, Um you know, I think LeBron has done it for a lot of years, and I think if you watch the finals, which wasn't that long ago, uh, he looked like the best player in basketball. He did. Then too. Mm-hmm. You know, Curry had a fine finals, but it's like I think everybody wanted to give him MVP when they won, and he still he still didn't he didn't do enough in the series to warrant MVP. Um, so you know, I don't want to say that based on 19 games that he's the best player in, in the NBA. Um, but he's been incredible. He's definitely been the best player in the NBA through the first 19 games of the season, for sure. And, I mean, he's the odds-on favorite right now to repeat his MVP. And, that, and, and I'm saying that even though LeBron's been really good, too. Because LeBron's been more explosive, more efficient um, than he was a year ago. I mean, he's healthier, and he's kind of grinding for them, too. So, you know, it's not as though he's fallen off much. Um, he actually hasn't fallen off at all. But... Curry's just been so sensational. I mean, we've never really seen anything. <laughs> we've never seen a display like this. Right. You know, it's hard for anybody. It's hard for anybody to match it. Especially since when when I think about the guy who I've always thought is the best player in basketball from year to year over my lifetime, none of them look anything like him either. You know, in terms no, of no, and I think that's play, that, that's you know? a lot of his charm is the way he yeah. looks and the way he plays, and there's kind of a relatability to it, but. You know, 
his hand-eye coordination is superhuman. It's just as superhuman as LeBron's strength or, you know, his explosiveness. It's, it's just all these guys have a different sort of superpower, and Curry's is his hand-eye coordination. I mean, when he's, whether he's bowling or golfing or whatever he does, he's just got incredible hand-eye coordination. He inherited it from his dad, and he's honed it. And that's kind of, I think, what it comes down to is his superpower is just a little harder to see. You know, when I was prepping for this and getting ready to, to think, what do I want to ask Lee Jenkins about the NBA season? And I don't think this is the first time uh, we've had this conversation, but you look at the standings, and what jumps out to me is the Spurs are 14-4 and four again. Yeah, and no one even talks about them. I mean, yeah. this team is just... How many times have we watched during the playoffs? It said, okay, it might be the last run for this group. Let's enjoy this group, what this group has done. And, and obviously, guys change. It's not the same uh, 12 guys who won the title in 1999 or whatever year or whatever. But I, it just – I'm trying to find a question, but they, well, make, they different make me now, speechless. Though, because they got Aldridge. So they got a guy who is very much in his prime. But that came with challenges. You know, all, the way Aldridge played in Portland is very different than the way they play in San Antonio. It's a lot of post up. They throw it into him. Isolation. He was very featured. And I have a feeling if you were down there and talking to those guys every day, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's challenges with that. I'm sure there's an adjustment period that they're still going through. Um, and that's why they're probably really encouraged that they're, that they're 14 and 4. And I bet it hasn't always been easy as far as meshing Aldridge into that thing. And if they can kind of continue to do that and get him, you know, kind of meld him so that he's kind of doing a little what he did in Portland, but also fitting into what they do in San Antonio, they could be really dangerous in the playoffs too. And that's where you look at it and you say, well, is Curry the best player? And he, he is at this point, but it's like, they're still going to have, they still are going to have some tough series. I mean, right. the, the Spurs are still going to be there. They didn't play the Spurs in the playoffs last year. Whereas the Cavs, may not. They may not be challenged in the Eastern Conference playoffs. I think the East has been better than people thought early on. In some ways, it's been deeper than the West, but it's about the depth. Like, there have been better teams kind of toward the bottom, but there's no second team. There's no challenger that seems to have emerged at all um, in the East, whereas you're right, the Spurs are kind of laying in the weeds, and that acclimation process with Aldridge, at some point that'll end, and if that kind of ends and they're really hitting on all cylinders in the spring, they could be really, really tough. And, you know, Oklahoma, same goes for Oklahoma City, although th- their issues may be a little more, um, a little harder to figure out. I still think it's, I think it's uh, really interesting, too, that the three best teams in the NBA are all undefeated at home, you know, and, and how important it is to establish that dominance. And, um, you know, for the Spurs, 9 0. Golden State has 10 wins at home, and Cleveland has 9-0 at home as well. Yeah, yeah, Uh, you're right. I thought of a few things that interested me about the league. You cover it day-to-day. What are some things that you're really interested in, uh, either now or finding more about as the season builds? What's what's something on your mind? Some teams I thought would be good that are struggling. You know, the the, the Clippers, Clippers, the Rockets, the Thunder, the Bulls. All of these teams were, you know, teams that could be right there. You know that with a few breaks, might even you know might be able to get to the finals, maybe win a championship, and all of them are finding their way. I mean, it's it's weird. You know, in the NBA, it's like you got to make constant changes. You got to keep changing because 
those te- it's hard to penetrate that ceiling at the top. And then those changes create, you know, they create potential, but they also create new challenges. So, you know, why are the Clippers, they bolstered their bench, but they still don't look elite. And the Rockets are way worse, and they fired their coach, and they're still, you know, something's off there. Is it because they, if you look at it on paper, they got better. They got Ty Lawson. But on the floor, they did not get better. You know, something's wrong there. Um, the Thunder, they got they missed Durant. He was out for a while, but now he's back. They got Durant. They got Westbrook. They have a new coach, Billy Donovan. You know, a lot of people felt like, well, maybe that'll be their Steve Kerr. You know, I thought there was a chance that they could just run rough shot through the league this year, that they could be – I thought they could be like what the Warriors are being. Like, it would be like a Jordan Pippen, and they were going to just – they were going to destroy people. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is it because of the new system with Donovan – which doesn't look that different from what they did before, you know, what, what's happening there. So there are a lot of teams where there, there seems to be some early tension. Now, maybe they all figure it out. Same thing with the Bulls. Maybe they all figure it out, um, but if they don't, the league really isn't as deep as we thought. It's essentially we're talking about then, you know, three or four teams. I mean, the Cavs, the Spurs, the Warriors, we have them. Well, who's going to come up next? Is there going to be like a second layer so that, you know, the playoffs are – more interesting than one or two rounds. Did the Knicks find one of the next great stars in the league? One of the next great what? Stars in the league. Stars. Yeah, I mean, potentially. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think the T-Wolves did too. Um, but, yeah, you just don't see guys like that. I mean, he's so long. He's a great shot blocker. He's a great rebounder. And, you know, I, I saw a story recently. I think my friend Chris Herring wrote it for the Wall Street Journal about some of these foreign – like foreign guys, they shoot better with time in the NBA after they come over. If his shot comes, you know, in the next couple of years, I mean, he's gonna he's gonna have a, quite an arsenal. Um, so yeah, they it, it looks right now like an incredible pick. And Towns has been great too. Um, and Okafor has been very very solid, very good offensively. Um, you know, he's a little bit more of a throwback of a like catch the ball in the post kind of guy. You know, I don't know how much defense they'll get from him, um, but and you know that team's still a mess. But he's uh, he looks like a good pick. I mean, it, it, the worst pick at this point looks like the guy I said was going to be a great pick, which is D'Angelo Russell. Um, I think I'm showing how bad my predictions always are, but he's just uh, you know he hasn't really gotten out of first gear. And I, I think part of that is the culture of it, the coach, you know, the Kobe situation, some of the complexity in L.A. Uh, but he has not asserted himself, which is unusual. Usually the guards um, acclimate quicker and the bigs take longer, and this year it's the reverse. Right, and and you mentioned Okafor. I mean, <laughs> you feel bad because you look at you look at um, you look at rookies around the league, and you know obviously starting off zero and eighteen in your career is no fun. But do you look at that team as sure they're zero and eighteen? But it seems like they have a direction. They have some guys, uh, maybe that they can build around. Maybe one more. You know, obviously they're going to be in the lottery. Um, maybe they win it. Maybe they get another top guy. I mean, are we as worried about the O and eighteen Sixers as we might be with an O and eighteen team? Or yeah, it's, it's toxic at some point. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just toxic to lose as much. And I, I totally get why they've done it. And they've got a lot of talent to show for it. We haven't seen a lot of it. Um, you know, we haven't seen Embiid yet, Joel Embiid. Um, 
you know, they've had guys get hurt. They've, they still have another pick. Not only will they be in the lottery, but they'll also get the pick from the Lakers unless the Lakers finish with one of the three worst records, which is very possible right now. Right, 2-14. Um, right so, now. you know, they could end up having, like, the number one and the number four picks or something. So they're going to have, you know, a gross collection of talent, um, but so far they haven't been able to fit it together. And, it's, and we're in year, what, year four of this thing? Year three? I mean, I can't even keep track. So it's been a while, and they're still losing all the time. And at some point, young players get infected by all this, and it's just it's not healthy. So I'm not saying they did the wrong thing. I kind of appreciate the boldness of the experiment. And in the end, they are going to have a lot of talent and a lot of assets. At some point, it will, it will flip over. But after they have the talent, they're then going to have to get to work on just how much infection has spread around that, around that team for whoever's left. You know, n- nobody forgets. I mean, like the Thunder lost a lot early on. I mean, they were three and twenty-nine at one point. Those guys, Durant and Westbrook, they lost a ton early. But then, but nothing like this. I mean, nothing this long. You know, it's just, it's very rare to have a team that loses this much, and then that's the core that continues on and creates success. Um, and that's kind of what they're trying to do. But at some point, you just you really get used. You become addicted to losing, sort of, just like the Warriors are addicted to winning. Yeah, and you know we went through it here in Buffalo last year with the Sabers, well, the last two years really with the Sabers, and ended up with the consecutive second round, second overall picks. And of course, last year was somewhat by design, which was really sort of controversial in the in the race to get Eichel or McDavid, and it worked out. We got Eichel, and and unlike um, in Philadelphia. Uh, it's not like we're on top of the league, but every night you go down to the arena now, and there's just so much excitement and buzz. You know, every yeah. time, every time Michael steps over the boards, people lean forward. You know, and there's so much buzz, and they don't win every night, uh, but when they win, and even when they lose, you feel like, oh, this is really starting to go somewhere, and and all of it was worth it in some way. So hopefully, it'll work out that way for for seventy yeah, Sixers fans. If you do it year after year after year, it's um, th- th- that's when I think it gets right. it yeah. gets to be a bit of a gamble. Um, but again, I, I I like the gamble. I mean, I don't like I don't really dispute the uh, the rationale of what they're doing. If you have a fan base that's going to be okay with it and is going to be patient, I think it'll pay off for them eventually. It's just will they break themselves in the process? All right. Last thing, and we'll let you go. Uh, we always this has been a tradition between uh, the two of us as we talk about uh, the last few number one picks. And I always like to check in on these guys because I'm fascinated by, as they call them in baseball, the one ones, you know, the first pick of the first overalls. So tell me a little bit about, let's go back to John Wall and forward. Wall, Irving, Davis, Bennett, Wiggins, and Towns. Give me a little bit. You don't have to go through all of them, but just tell me a little bit about these guys and Who's I mean, the Wizards are another team that's just kind of disappointed a little bit. You know, they're yeah. not like they could have taken a leap. They haven't. Um, you know, Wall's been great, but at some point, it's like you know, that's a team that needs to show. They're obviously going to be in that Kevin Durant derby. They want to show Kevin Durant that they have kind of that base to take the next step, and they haven't necessarily done it this year. Um, oh, yeah, Irving, so Irving, Irving's yeah. been hurt. He was hurt in the finals. Yes. Um, I think if he hadn't gotten hurt, that would have been a really the tr- interesting yeah. series. What, mm-hmm. What's that? It changed the finals when he got hurt. Changed the finals. Yeah. He's still out. 
Cleveland's played well, but they need him. You can tell they miss him. Um, and I think they're they're counting the days till he returns, probably mid-December for him. And when he comes back, they're going to have to kind of go through a process then to ingratiate him back in. But he's going to be a big part of the NBA for a long time because, you know, LeBron will be kind of the guy there for a while. But then I, I have no doubt that in a few years, you know, maybe four years, it'll transition. And LeBron, unlike Kobe, will probably be better, will undoubtedly be better at being a complementary option. Um, you know, there could be a year where it's more Irving, more love, and LeBron is kind of, you know, more in a facilitating role and, you know, is the third score. I mean, it's, we're not close to that yet, but it'll ha- it could happen. Um, so I think Irving's in a great spot as far as, I mean, really he's in an ideal spot if he takes advantage of it and really kind of follows LeBron's example here. Um, he could become a superstar. Um, who's next, Bennett? Davis. You know, they've been another disappointment. I mean, really, the season has been the season has been marked so far by disappointments. It's like that was a team that everybody thought was going to take another take a big step. They got Alvin Gentry, who kind of did the offense in Golden State. Um, did had a good stint coaching in Phoenix, not so good with the Clippers earlier. And you know, they've been horrible. They've been horrible defensively. They've had injuries, um, you know, and they've picked it up a little bit. But Davis hasn't. I mean, Davis hasn't been maybe what he hasn't made the improvement maybe people thought he would make either. Um, and again, there are a lot of extenuating circumstances down there, um, and he's still going to be an incredible player. And if you pull the NBA GMs on who you'd take number one if you're building a franchise, you know he would probably be top three, I would think. Um, but you know that may take a little more time down there for New Orleans to kind of get it going than what it than what it appeared. Then it's a disaster. Yeah, that's just a bust. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, he's that. You know, that was a. It was a down draft. It wasn't a great draft, and he was not a good pick in in a bad draft. So, um, yeah, that one's a non-starter. Was Wiggins next? Yeah, Wiggins and Towns. Yeah, I mean, so the Peebles had um, Peebles had the last two, and I mean, those guys are the core for to me. The next really young, exciting team is is going to be the Wolves, like. I don't want to compare it to Thunder or anything, but it reminds me a little bit of when they were kind of getting started. Um, and they had all this young talent. And the Wolves had done something kind of interesting. They brought in all these veterans, one at each position, so that each position group has kind of a designated mentor. They got Tayshaun Prince in the wing, Andre Miller at the point, Kevin Garnett in the post. So each kind of group has its like lead, designated leader. It's It's... In the usual thing, because most teams don't want to tie up that much roster space and, you know, just mentors. Um, but the people, Flip Saunders believed that this would be, you know, the best way to go. And I think it would be, you know, a great testament to him if that model is, is, is to work out. And so far, I think it's, you know, it's not going to work out as far as them making a push or anything this season. Um, but as far as the impact on those guys moving forward, those young guys in five years, them saying, yeah, having Tayshaun around, having KG around, that was important to my growth. Um, I think that's where you'll see. I think you could see something with the Wolves where they are, you know, where they really, I think they'll be kind of that next team that people will be watching because they have a lot of young talent. And look, to Philly's point, that's what happens. You pick that high over and over again. You know, you get those kind of assets. You turn them into the right young picks, right young players, and – all of a sudden, you're off and running if you hit on two or three of them. The Wolves have been bad for a long time. They got the picks to show for it, and now they're moving ahead. 
Yeah, and you mentioned Towns being excited about him, so uh, you don't have to go over that. Towns again. is great. I mean, yeah. He's going to be a great face for the NBA. He's really, you know, Wiggins is very, very quiet and does not, you know, has no interest, I think, in a lot of the, uh, you know, kind of the stars, um, not duties, but, you know, things a star does. But Towns loves that stuff. I mean, he's he's really fun, and, you know, Minnesota, Minneapolis is a market that, like, I think if you want to be loved and you love the city a little bit, they, they will give it back to you. You think about Kirby Puckett and KG and Torrey Hunter. And I think, I really think Towns could fit right into that. He could be, he could be a very important part of Minnesota for a long, long time because not only is he a great defender, a great offensive player, he's also a lot of fun. And he's, he's just got a really magnetic personality that I think I think the league needs, and I, I think Russell actually has that too. But his um, you know, his game has to catch up to it. And are you going uh, Warriors and Cavs at this point, or you got? Well, I started out with the Thunder. I mean, okay. I was like, you know, I started out with the Thunder, and I, I, it's funny every year. Steve, every year I pick the Thunder. Every year I pick the Thunder to get to the finals, um, and that's why most years my pick is wrong. Um, I did think it would be the Cavs' year. You know, I just look back on the symmetry with Miami, right. year Losing two with LeBron. One, yeah. They're they're very deep when healthy. Um, they spent a lot of money in this team. They're really loaded, and they shouldn't be challenged to the finals. You know, I but I, I didn't expect Golden State to be nineteen and zero. I mean, I didn't expect them to come out like this. I, mean, I thought they were a great team, a great champion. But now we're, you got to look at them as like a forever team, as a you know one of the great teams you know, one of the great teams the NBA has seen, given the way they're playing. So it's definitely changed um, the way people like me handicapped it. And, you know, and, and they probably, I, I, I don't want to say they were, like, disrespected in any way, but they've definitely used every little perceived slight or real slight against them. You know, they've used all of that um, and come out like a house on fire. And um, it's, been, it's been something to watch. You know, I, I, I don't know how sustainable it is, um, but again, I just think they've created something there as far as just enjoying each other, enjoying competition. They play with a, you know, with a real joy and, and, and happiness, and it translates to, to the floor. Yeah, and I think it was Chris Ballard last year who wrote a great piece on how that team was kind of put together uh, yeah, for the did. magazine. Yeah, and we talked to him about it, and it's like, yeah, well, Chris Ballard was all over that. I mean, because everything you read in that article you've seen play out Every day on the court since he wrote it. Um, Lee Jenkins is on Twitter, at SI underscore Lee Jenkins. Um, we haven't started the Sportscasters Hall of Fame yet, but like Andre the Giant in the WWE Hall of Fame or Babe Ruth in the MLB, Lee will be the first inductee. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for appearance number 21. Have a good holidays, and uh, I'm sure we will uh, talk soon. Cool. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. All right, thank you, Lee Jenkins. Can never thank Lee Jenkins enough. Twenty-one times, he can legally drink. <laughs> yeah, based on his number of sportscasters appearances. That'd be a weird law. That would be. It'd be sweet for us, though. So we'd get so many guests. It'd be so much easier to book <laughs> young guests, I guess. Well, oh, you mean in general? If like the law changed, so yeah, everybody had. If the law changed to you're only legal to drink if you've appeared on the sportscasters wow, twenty-one yeah. times. 
Yeah, that'd be huge. We would be booking like nothing. Yeah, that'd be great. We could get Chris Berman. What do we have to do? Isn't there a website? If you go like the uh, the government White House website, if you can get enough people to sign a petition, like they have to bring it to the floor. <laughs> yeah. There, we can. I don't know. I'm not sure we have. We would be so cocky, though. A million fans or whatever. We'd blow it. <laughs> so we'd be like, I remember when we were nobody. And I emailed you and you an email back. No alcohol for you ever, you fucker. <laughs> so, yeah, that would ruin us. Uh, book Club, Terrorizing Telemarketers, Volume 6. It's, it's available. Why did I say it so stupid? Such a mush mouth. So I know when to hire us. They listen to these shows and they're like, that guy talks like, a, like an idiot. Terrorizing Telemarketers. Terrorizing Telemarketers, Volume, volume 6. six uh, with Jim Florentine and Don Jameson is available now. On iTunes for download or on Apple Music and Spotify for streaming. You can also buy a physical copy of the CD at the gigs of the comedians, including Rochester, New York, Yeah. on January 2nd, 2016. I still like physical CDs. So do I. And DVDs, like Blu-rays, I should say. I don't know why, though. Like, I keep moving. I had to move them into the basement, and I've got to move my Blu-ray shelf into the basement, too, because my son just pulls everything off shelves. So... I don't know how often I, I don't know. I like to look at them on shelves, which square footage wise is like not a great idea. What someone needs to do to get me away from this is like invent an iPod or an iPad, whatever, something that I can dump all my movies onto. You know, what would get you away from it for music and which has for me in a lot of occasions is a streaming subscription. Yeah, because it is so hard to justify going to Best Buy to buy the 20th anniversary deluxe edition of Super Unknown by Soundgarden. When you can open up Apple Music and it's there to stream it, it's sure. an entirety. Yeah, it almost makes me want to so get so difficult. Like, makes me want to be like a hipster. Like if I'm going to display something, it might as well like be a big record or something. Get a nice record player and. Have I'm going to set something up in my basement where my CDs will be, and I'm going to get a record player and I'm going to try to listen to music more like that. Yeah, kind of a getaway place in the house. Sure. Uh, also, take your eye off the puck. How to watch hockey by knowing where to look. It's written by our buddy Greg Wasinski, the puck daddy. You can find that on Amazon. It's the number one hockey book on Amazon.com. Oh, that's cool. So go there and pick that up. Help Greg out. He was on uh, two, two podcasts ago, yeah. ago with Jim Florentine. All right. And they talk about both of these projects. And we're going to take a break now and talk more about Terrorizing Telemarketers Volume 6 with Don Jameson. All right, our next guest is a comic from New Jersey and is one of the hosts of VH1 Classics That Metal Show. He also is one of the pranksters on the other end of Terrorizing Telemarketers Volume 6 uh, with his good friend Jim Florentine. And he is making his first appearance on the podcast today. A Warren Sportscaster's welcome. What's up, Don man? Don Jameson. What's going on, Don? How you doing? Uh, just living the New Jersey dream, my friend. That's all. Yeah, I know uh, uh, Jim is very anti uh, where are you from New Jersey, but but I have to ask, <laughs> where, where are you from in New Jersey? No, I'm like um, 
you know, like right by Main Street. Right. Oh, right off of Main. There. Yeah. 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 It's like um. By the by the Walgreens. Yeah. No. No. It's a no. CVS. I think. CVS. Okay. Yeah, I'm right by around the corner on the. There's a street there. Right. Yeah, I know that. I know that street. Yeah. I've been yeah. There, so yeah. yeah, you come over anytime you want. That's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. You got it, man. Yeah. No, it's been really fun doing this with uh, with the CD. Um, you know, usually we do a book. Uh, sometimes we've done documentaries, but this is the first CD. And uh, I thought it'd be really cool because, you know, it's interesting to me how there's been such a gap between them. Um, and I kind of asked Jim, and I'll get your take on this too. When you finished Volume 5, did you guys kind of feel like you were kind of out of ideas? Did you just need a break from it? Uh, was it just sort of a natural end? And why now for Volume 6? Why do you think now is the right time to come back? Well, I, I mean, basically, you know, yeah, we were just trying to get, we kind of want to, we like to give things a rest for a while. You know, we do um, hidden camera DVDs called Meet the Creeps that yeah, are hardcore, yes. like hidden camera comedy yes. that you probably know about. Uh-huh. And we haven't done one of those in probably seven or eight years either. And, you know, we, but I still collect ideas and probably someday we'll do another one. So it was the same with this. And then we got busy with stuff. We got busy with, you know, doing that metal show. And then Jim and I both got into like serious relationships. You know, Jim was busy, you know, taking upper deckers on the Louis show. <laughs> so we had stuff going on, you know. And then, like, it just dried up one day, like, early, earlier in the year, and we were just like, all right, you know, our chicks left us, you know, all our work is kind of on hiatus right now, we got a lot of rage, let's take it out on somebody. Now, what are the logistics of kind of, like, getting the calls approved? If they call you, are you is it kind of fair game? Yeah, that's the whole idea, yeah. like, if they're calling you, so technically you don't have to... Uh, get permission but you know we usually do and they just say i just you know beep out the company name or whatever so i don't you know get in trouble at my job or whatever so yeah that's just just generally how we do it i you know i go over to jim's house you know he has a a separate line set up and we do it old school bro We, we have a radio shack tape recorder literally we record all the calls on cassette and then we give it to our editor and he you know he has to hook up a cassette player to his computer and there's like a hundred wires and stuff he's like why can't you guys just do this like normal people like you know <laughs> this is a modern age you know jim does a podcast he does his radio show from home i mean he knows how to do all this stuff but we're like now nah, it's better old school man because you feel like you're on the call with us when you do it that way because you're hearing like all the little you know it's like an, a, a record album you know, if you put on an LP and you hear the little pops and the pings, man, that's, that adds a lot of character to it. So I feel the same way. Like when we do these calls, I like people to feel like they're on the call with us because most of them are very uncomfortable. And, and you know, you really want that to come across. I always feel, too, like the ones that work the best are when you guys uh, get on opposite ends of the ping pong table and get the telemarketer in between and just start batting them back and forth. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a call on a new album called uh, Good Day, Bad Day, and the woman never gets past the question, how are you guys doing today? Because, <laughs> you know, Jim was having a good day, but I wasn't, you know, and so, and it, I, she never says her name, she never says the name of the company, just literally, how's your day today? And five minutes later, she just hangs up in frustration. <laughs> How many call now is every call that you made does it make the CD like are a lot of busts like how many how many 
calls you need to make to get a CD's worth of material? Yeah, we just, whatever's on there is yeah. pretty much what we have. Yeah, there might be one or two stragglers, but yeah, pretty much, you know, we're not like, you know, we're not like a band. We have like 25 songs and we got to whittle it down to the best 10. We're just like, you know, when we have enough calls, you know, we'll just put it out on the album and, you know, we pass it around to like three or four friends that we trust, like their opinion on comedy. So um, we do that. We tell them to give it, each call a rating on a scale of one to ten. You know, anything under an eight doesn't make the album. Yeah, so there's not going to be a big box set someday ter- terrorizing telemarketers with tons of B-sides? They'll do lost calls, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a couple lost calls. that I know there was one from, like, I think Volume 3 where the police kind of got involved and oh. there was a cease and desist on the call. So that, that one will probably never see the light of day. Um, so, yeah, that, that gives you an idea of, of kind of how much we get under their skin to where cops actually came to Jim's house once. I think he may he may have told that story in the past. Yeah, he probably did. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, we did has. a lot of crazy stuff on yeah. early CDs, like giving you know Jim's girlfriend a home abortion and saying that we had anthrax and we're in the hospital and all kinds of crazy stuff, you know. But this <laughs> this CD is uh, a little more. Uh, no, I wouldn't say tamer because it's still you know it's still funny and it's still you know uncomfortable and tense. But uh, this is more. We just kind of winged it on this one. We were just like. Let's just listen to whatever their dumb pitch is, and you know we'll just throw a curveball right back at them and see what happens. Yeah, I was at the uh, I was at the that metal show, the touring version of the show a few weeks ago in Buffalo, and um, you guys are going to be back in the area, and I want to mention it a few times. So we do have a lot of listeners in, in Western New York. You guys are going to be in Rochester on January second. Uh, to perform again, and it was—it's a—it's a really cool show the way it's lined up. You know, going in, I really didn't know what to expect exactly from the show. Uh, we did have Eddie on to promote it, and he kind of laid the groundwork uh, for it a little bit. But I'm just kind of curious about how you approach comedy on a night like that, your portion of it, your set, as compared to a headlining gig or an opening gig or something outside of the that metal show setting. Do you? Do you go in with a different mindset? Is there a different process to to your portion of the show? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, yeah, we will be, you know, at the Montage Music Hall, like you said, on January 2nd. And, you know, the thing is with that is, like, it's all that metal show fans. So it's a big crowd of metalheads, which are our people, which, you know, I love. And so I take advantage of that in the sense of I do a lot of material in my act about bands and music. And so I usually... You know, I have 15 or 20 minutes, you know, to be up there doing stand-up. You know, we all kind of take our turn up there for 15 or 20 minutes, and I use it to talk about bands and music because, you, know, you know, it's hard to make, you know, you can't make, like, Night Ranger jokes, you know, in front of a comedy club audience. Right. But, you, you know, but you can, you know, you, you can't make a joke about Viking metal, you know, at the Funny Bone in Hartford. You know, you have to kind of, you know, keep it, you know, a little bit more, you know, there's couples out, hang, you know, they're, they're looking for more kind of mainstream stuff. So, yeah, when I do a comedy club, when I do, I'll do some of that stuff, but, you know, then I'll just do more general stuff, you know, stuff about my life and stories and stuff. You know, Jim has talked about how hard it can be uh, to open for bands. Uh, I think he's shared some experiences with Slayer and the difficulties of that. But when you look at some of the, it seems like you've really, really, and maybe Slayer's a different animal, but... It seems like you've really kind of mastered that you've you're always out with Dizzy or 
you know, opening, uh, doing comedy at, at, at huge music festivals. And it seems like something you've gotten really comfortable doing. Um, do you think there's any specific reason why your comedy seems to fit in really good in those settings? I, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, I didn't really talk about metal and music in my act for the longest time. And then when I started doing the show, I was like, that's weird, you know, comics, we were supposed to talk about the things that are like, you know, constants in our life, you know, and with me, it's, you know, ruining relationships and bands and stuff. So, you know, but I wasn't really mentioning bands and stuff like that. I don't do a lot of current events. So it was like, yeah, I want to do more and more stuff on music. And then, you know, Metallica booked me and Jim to, to perform at their first Orion Fest. And I'm like, if I'm going up in front of those animals, I better have some jokes about bands and stuff, you know. They're, they're not going to want to hear about, you know, oh, my girlfriend left me last week. They, they they couldn't give a crap, you know. So I just had to go out there and pound them. And I like doing it because I work fast in com- when I do my comedy. Even in nightclubs, I work pretty quickly. So, I, you know, that's good with rock crowds because you got to keep their attention, man. If You know, if, if you go 30 seconds without a laugh or some kind of reaction, man, they, they just tune out because they're just standing there, you know. They're standing there, you know, drinking, and, you know, they're like, oh, now there's a comedian, so you really got to just got to get out there and be aggressive. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting, too. Like, I'm a, I'm a huge Pearl Jam guy. I've been to, like, 78 Pearl Jam shows. and Wow. Um, you know, on those nights, I get so focused on wanting to see Pearl Jam that I feel like they could bring my second favorite band out, and during that 40 minutes... I could, I still would maybe sort of be tuned out. Like I'm just kind of focused on the other thing, and I think the idea of bringing comics is such a cool. I don't know how this evolved or where this started, but I think it's a real cool contrast because sometimes, um, and people are so passionate about their favorite bands, and when you're uh, when you're waiting for them, I think the idea of doing something besides music, I just think that works really well. I, I just kind of like the idea and the feeling of the the kind of contrast between music and comedy and how they can work together as opposed to just a different band that totally you didn't man. Want to see. That, it used to be more the norm back in the like in the seventies. You know, comics always open for bands. You know, and people were more accepting of it. But yeah, I don't know why or how it changed. But again, you know, we're doing that metal show. It's like you know, luckily, you know, I do have some recognition factor in front of you know, big rock crowds. And so, you know, you look, like I said, you still got to go out and deliver, or just, you know, or they're just going to tune you out. But right. I'd probably have, a, you know, a two or three minute grace period before, you know, people start throwing cups of beer at me, you know. So, you know, and Slayer is a different animal, like you said. I mean, bands don't want to even open for Slayer. So imagine a comic going out there and, you know, trying to tell dick jokes for 20 minutes. It's, <laughs> uh, but, you know, look, these are like the bar gigs when we first started out in the Florentine. You know, you'd have to go into a bar. The mic wouldn't work. Nobody in the bar even knows there's a comedy show. They've been drinking since noon. So, you know, that's how we cut our teeth originally. So to go out and do a rock club now or open for bands, you know, that's I just revert back to that, you know, that time and go, okay, it's a, it's a, it's a bar gig. Let's do this. I was talking to someone about comics uh, like a couple weeks ago, and we were just talking about, I don't know, who we would go see maybe or something. We were, we were talking about comics, and I, I'm like, name it. I'm like, oh, you know, I'd love to see Artie Lang again. You know, I, I just got to see Florentine and Jameson, and I'm naming all these comics. I'm like, wait, all those guys are from New Jersey. And then he started naming a guy. He's like, oh, that's a bunch of Boston comics. And 
It's like, why don't I know of a bunch of comics from Iowa? Like, why is it that there's so many successful comics from, like, a few different areas of the country? Like, I think, you know, because the whole business is in New York or L.A., so you kind of got to be near both of those places to get, you know, more exposure. You know, if mm-hmm. I was doing comedy in Iowa, and they do have great comics out there. I was actually just out there doing some shows, and the guys that opened for me were actually really good. So, But they don't really have exposure. There's one comedy club in the town. You know, the, the Letterman show, well, now, you know, whatever, the, any of the late-night shows aren't sending a talent booker to Cedar Rapids to scout for comics for the show. That's just, you know, it's New York or L.A., so that's, that's pretty much why it happens. All right. You were talking about that metal show before, and um, since the last season of it ended, I've had Jim and Eddie and now you on, on this show, which is, I don't know, kind of fun since technically it's a sports show, and but we like to do different things. And, uh, you know, I thought listening and reading between the lines of what Jim said that he had a real negative opinion about the future of the show. And I brought that up to Eddie, and he said... Uh, I bet Jim was just having a bad day, and sometimes if you read, sometimes that's just Jim. He can come off that way. I, I still think it's it's good. And then I read something on Metal Sludge, and and I mean that's the worst source of news for anything. But uh, <laughs> they, they they were of course uh, saying there's no way it's coming back uh, today. How do you feel? Do you think we'll get a 15th season? Um, what's your feeling on on the future of the show? I feel great about it, man. Yeah. You know, the thing is, it's you know, we're, we work for a small network, so it's yeah. like sometimes we do three seasons a year, sometimes we do one. It just depends. They, they shake the piggy bank, and it's not making any noise. We can't do another season, so we've done one this year. It looks like that's going to be it, but, you know, sometimes the, the break is good. You know, we come up with new ideas, new segments, and then we come back fresh again. So now I feel great about it in 2016, we're, you know. The three of us love working together. You know, we love doing the show. And, um, you know, we got people at the network behind us. So, yeah, I feel great about it, man. I don't feel negative about it at all. And, you know, people are always going to speculate, man, they haven't been on in a while. They won't answer people on Twitter. But it's like, but everybody asks, when are you guys coming back? You know, so it's like, I would just be on Twitter all day, you know, (laughs) saying the same thing over and over, you know. So when people say, when's the next season start? I go, I just write back, winter starts December 22nd. <laughs> that's right that's the next season yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, as far as that metal yeah. show i can't tell you if i could don't you th- you know when, when the show comes back we all post like 500 times a day the show's coming back here's tickets for the audience here's where you you know here's the, the, the schedule and here's the guests i mean we always lay that stuff out so yeah man i feel good about it sports guests are here talking to don jameson uh terrorizing telemarketers volume six uh comes out tomorrow i believe uh, Absolutely. Although by the time you hear this, tomorrow will have happened, and you'll be able to get it uh, on iTunes, and you'll be able to buy it there. You can stream it on Apple Music or Stitcher, and of course the comics. Uh, Don and Jim will have it at their gigs, a physical one, in case you want to own a physical one. Uh, Don, what's your favorite way to listen to music in in 2015? Are you a big CD guy? Uh, have you embraced streaming? Do you like records? What's your uh, what's your favorite way to listen to uh, your favorite music right now? Yeah, usually when I'm banging a chick. <laughs> okay, yeah, the, but, but let's say you're banging the chick and you got the music on. Uh, is it a CD or a tape or a record or have you just exposed that this is a really stupid question? 
No, it's a great question. I'm being a dick, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, because I, you know, I, I get on these raps about vinyl, you know, and I don't want to bore your listeners. And, and by the way, I'm a huge sports fan as well. So if you want to talk sports, we can. But sure. but I'm I'm back in the vinyl, man. The last three years, that's all I've bought is vinyl. I've been selling all my CDs back and just buying vinyl again. I love it. But you know, I'm 49, man. That's what I grew up with. I love the sound of it. I love, you know, I mentioned it before. I love even the little imperfections, but. It, but even with that, the sound is so much thicker and so much, you know, w- warmer and, and more lush, man. So, yeah, so when I'm banging a chick, you know, I want something warm and lush. <laughs> yes, we Oh, that's that's a, that's a huge, huge plus, warm and lush. Uh, I've just been getting into vinyl. Um, not quite as old as you. I'm not by any means young, but uh, I've just been getting getting into it and, and really starting to enjoy it and there's something about just sitting there, I think, with that giant book that just I love so much, I think, has really uh, been an a- appeal to me. Just the giant artwork and, and the lyrics and mm-hmm. looking at it like and that. And kids love it, too. Like, Jim's got a five-year-old son. He loves vinyl, you know, because, it, like you said, it's big. There's pictures. It's, you know, it's just more than listening to some music on your computer, you know, right. through crappy speakers. It's like, it, The sound is better, but you also have the booklet and you could see the you know that his son's obsessed with like learning the guys in the band their names and which guy plays what instrument so you know that's that's a big appeal you know for me but you know i'm an album guy some you know the kids nowadays most of them they're just they like to download songs and that's it they don't know who's in the band they don't they couldn't care less i like this song i'm going to download it so uh, I'm old school, man. I, you know, I just love it, man. So that's uh, that's what I'm doing now. But I, I still like CDs, you know. Like I said, we'll, when people come, if they come to Rochester to see us live, we'll have Terrorizing Telemarketer Six, you know, on CD. Yeah, the physical one. Yep. Yeah, it's cool packaging, and we wrote liner notes that are funny. So you know, I like all that stuff. So you know, if the fans want a hard copy, definitely come and pick one up. You uh, won an Emmy, a sports Emmy, actually. Uh, working on inside the NFL. So I knew you're a sports fan. Um, who are your teams? I don't know that actually. Um, yeah, I'm a, well, yeah, I'm New York, New Jersey guy. So, you know, I love all the, the local teams, you know, but yeah, my teams are Jets, Mets, Nets, and Rangers. Usually it's the Devils with that combination, but I'm a Ranger fan. Ranger fan. Yeah. Uh, I was a huge, I'm a huge Sabres fan, but I got really into that Rangers run in 94. That's still probably the best cup of my life in 94 with uh, uh, the Rangers finally getting it done and Burray and the penalty shot and uh, that that sticks out to me. What are some uh, sports moments? What are your, some of your favorite mo- sports moments that fi- stick out as a Jets? And, uh, well, I mean, there's only like three of them. So, I mean, you just <laughs> named one of them. <laughs> you know, as, I mean, as a hockey fan, I was always for, I was jealous of, of your team forever because you, you had one of the greatest goalies of all time, Dominic yeah, Kasha. Yeah. You know, and then we finally, you know, we've had great ones over the years, but, you know, now, you know, with, with, uh, Lundquist, man, I, I think, you know, you know, I've been saying it the last two years, I think it's our year, but I, you know, I really, I can really feel it now. It's coming together. Um, but yeah, 86 Mets World Series, and, you know, I got nothing with the Jets, you know, I was three when they won the Super Bowl, so, you know, I'm waiting for some kind of fire from those guys, but, um, yeah, most you know mo- most of my sports life has been you know pretty much misery. So I deserve to win the Emmy. Yeah, I thought that I thought last year the Rangers they would have won the whole thing if if that you know Zuccarello injury doesn't happen. Cause you always, yeah, you always yeah felt but that's the, whole the game, time. man. What are you yeah. gonna do? 
You always felt the whole time there one one goal away, you know, one goal scorer away. And even game seven against Tampa Bay was that one nothing basically the whole game. But Yeah, and we couldn't get Nash going enough. Yeah, you know, it was like too yeah. little too late. So yeah, we'll see what happens, man. You know, I'm look, I'm die hard, so you know, I, I don't switch my teams halfway through. It's like with music. You know, when the nineties came around I didn't start putting on flannels and, and listen you know, getting depressed and listen to Nirvana. You know, I was still listening to Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, all that stuff. So and I like some of that music, but you know what I mean? I didn't change my whole thing because that was in at the time. So, you know, I'm a Mets fan. I just because the Yankees have won like nine hundred World Series, I don't go, oh, okay, now I'm gonna become a Yankee fan, you know, I gotta sleep at night. Right. And the Mets are not, you've got two teams that are right there, right on the brink, you know. Um, and it was a great, great fun fall for Mets fans for sure. But let's kind of uh, let's kind of end on this, and I want to get your take on this. And you talked about you know not changing your music in the '90s, and I get that. And one thing that's always been like a battle between me and my dad is we have some bands in common, and we enjoy listening to music together, of course, and. I'm a huge Rush fan. I wouldn't be a Rush fan without my dad. You know, and when you look at my iPod, it goes from like some stuff from the late 1960s all the way to pretty current. If you were to look at my dad's, it just kind of stops in 1980 and like he just. It's, I, I, <laughs> who's, your, who's your dad? Eddie Trunk? Yeah, yeah, his name's Ed actually. Uh, <laughs> it's like this moment happened uh, where like. I don't know, like the last Journey album he loves came out or something, and no album could have could ever come out after that that he could find <laughs> the time of day with. And I've been I've been like, don't let that happen to you. But I'm starting to feel like maybe 2014 that that's like starting to happen to me that I'm not finding new bands as much. I'm not I'm not embracing new stuff as much as I used to. That that in ten years I'm gonna have a son and he's gonna be like. Dude, your iPad ends at 2014. You know, what the fuck? There's been great music coming out ever since. And, yeah. and you know, and maybe even a better way to explain this. You know, I was at that Rush show this year, and they went backwards, you know, in the – Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's like 90% of the crowd sat on their hands until they played the so- the first song from singles or, or from um, uh, the first song, uh, Subdivisions. It was like the first song everybody knew, and I just was like looking around and like – you people love this music, but for some reason you can't buy a Rush album in the last five years. Like, why? Yeah, it's tough, man. No, you're, does, you're right. It's tough to it's tough to discover new music. So sometimes you go through a dry period. So what I usually do is I go back and rediscover, you know, stuff that I sort of was into, and then for whatever reason I just couldn't get fully into it, and then I just go back and rediscover it again and go, all right, this is a new band to me now. Like even like you know one of your favorite bands, Pearl Jam, you know. I was, you know, because it was being forced down my throat in the 90s, I couldn't get into it as much. I liked it, but, you know, and then, like, in the last five years, I've really been like, wow, you know, they're just a great rock band, which is why they've survived so long, you know. They're not even a grunge band. They're just a great rock band. So that's what I do. And then then every once in a while, man, there's, like, a a batch of bands that come along, and you're like, oh, man, these guys are so killer. You know, like, Crowbot is a great new band that people are into just straight up hard rock, Sabbathy, Zeppelin vibe, King, same kind of vibe, K Y N G King. So there are bands that are coming along that are doing cool stuff. It's just uh 
you know, it's, and if you're a Rush fan, you know, uh, Mike Portnoy's son's got a band called Next to None, and they're phenomenal. So, you know, if you like it more on the proggy side, you know, so there are there are bands out there. It's just, you're right, man. Sometimes it's tough, man. Sometimes you do. You get stuck in a certain era, and you can't get out of it. But there's 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 still good bands out there, man. Well, listen, Don Jameson is on Twitter. You can find him at Real Don Jameson. Uh, Terrorizing Telemarketers, Volume 6. It'll be out by the time you hear this. You can download it on iTunes, or you can listen to it via streaming on Spotify and Apple Music. You can also buy uh, the physical CD like we were talking about at all of Don's gigs. And I do have a list of uh, some. Don's going to be in Kansas City uh, in January. Uh, he's gonna yeah, be that's in, with Jim Florentine, too. That's with Jim. Okay. Cayuga Falls, Ohio at the New Year's Eve. Yeah, New Year's Eve at the Funny Stop and Cuyahoga Falls. Great, great. And I, in fact, I might record that for an album. So if anybody's listening in that area, come on down. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, you're going to be in uh, Miami uh, on the Monsters of Rock cruise. That sounds Love doing like that fun. stuff, too, man. That's yeah. getting up in front of 4,000 crazy metalheads and telling jokes. <laughs> and, of course, as we mentioned, on January 2nd, uh, Don and Jim and Eddie are going to be in Rochester, and I was at the show in Buffalo, and had and we talked about it on the podcast. It's had so much fun at the show. Uh, hopefully, though, you guys looked at the metal schedule in Buffalo and didn't book on the same night as a big metal show here, because you know that pissed the Rochester people off last time. Yeah, I didn't. You know, we're we're not that bright, really. I mean, we all, we have we know metal sports and. I couldn't believe it when the guy stood up there. And was Comedy. Like, Do you guys know what metal band is playing in Rochester tonight? It's like, oh, man. Yeah, so we just got into town an yeah. hour ago, dude. Yeah. You know, we're staying at the Best Western. We're, we're not, we're lucky we have Wi-Fi. We're not really well connected in this area, so. Do you know? No, it's all good, man. You know, the fans are passionate, you know. Sometimes you get up and, and you get that mic stuck in your face and you're like, ah, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what do I say here? But no, it's all good, man. We have fun with people, man. That's why we do the Q and A, man. We wa- want to hear people talk and we made a funny moment out of it. So, yeah. uh, let's, we'll do, hopefully do the same in Rochester, man. Yeah, I mean, you guys will be there January 2nd, 2016 for, uh, for that show. And, and listen, Don is close with Dizzy. So when you see him, make sure you ask him what he knows about the potential Guns N' Roses reunion because I'm sure he's dying to field that question. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that. I'm sure nobody said it to him, no, and, and I'm sure he's going to ask me about the new season of that metal show. So <laughs> <laughs> neither one of those questions will be asked because we'll be too busy doing shots of Jaeger. But you guys are close that you can, if it does happen, maybe you can get the opening gig. Hey, you know what? I'll take it, man. Absolutely, open yeah. for Guns and Roses or whatever. And in the meantime, I'll open for Hookers and Blow. Sounds great, Don. Thanks for all this time. I had some fun uh, chatting with you. Um, and the CD is going to be awesome. Terrorizing Telemarketers, Volume 6. Uh, thanks to you and Jim for letting us promote it uh, and getting it out there to the fans. And um, uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Anytime, man. You're, you're a pro, bro. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I had fun talking to you, really. I really did. Thank you. Cool, man. I'll talk to you soon, brother. All right, so I want to thank Don Jameson for being on the podcast. I also want to thank Lee Jenkins 
for another fantastic outing. You can hear his 21st, his 18th, his 5th, or even his first trip onto the show at our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find the shows on Stitcher. Stitcher was nice enough last week to send out some push notifications. Oh, cool. Uh, I picked uh, 20 or 30 or 40 podcasts and sent her over to them. And if you were a subscriber to one of those podcasts and had push notifications on, you got one or two saying, check out this. Yeah. So thank you to Stitcher. And, of course, you can find it on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. You can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Uh, find Don at Don Lake Sports. We should thank the listeners, too. Thank you, listeners. <laughs> I'm not sure we ever thank the listeners. They're fantastic listeners. Yeah, sure. Um, my last thing, Blake J. Harris, who we've had on the podcast before in the book club, uh, he wrote Console Wars. Yes. Uh, we've Featured talked twice. To yeah, he's been, he's been nice to us. Uh, he always seems real excited to be on. He was on, uh, they call it the definitive, but I guess we would argue, the definitive yeah, ours are much better. Blake J. Harris yeah. interview on uh, the uh, ESPN Fantasy Focus football podcast. And he was really cool on there. And uh, I'm pumped for him because he's a guy that's always been really polite to us. He's always written to us. He's Like I said, he's always been excited to come on and talk. And he's excited about his project, and you can tell. And he's doing a... Uh, Oral history. Oral history, yeah, that's what you call it. An oral history of the league, the show, the league. So that should be sweet. And listen on to ESPN.com starting tomorrow. Tomorrow, I think. Wednesday. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Wednesday when this, this might already be out or should be out. Yeah. Um, also, he's got a feature film, apparently, from Console Wars, which we didn't know about. So we're going to have to bug him about that a little bit. Next time we have him on, he didn't didn't let us break that. But uh, that's basically all. I just want to say good, good for Blake Harris. He's been cool to us and... Yeah, He's always really appreciated what we've done as far as exposure for him. We were on that early. Yeah. That book. We oh, yeah. Early. Yep. yeah. And uh, he's a great dude. And look, it, that's a great podcast. It's a, it's a better platform than ours, but there's no way that was a better interview than any we've ever done with Blake. No, no. Uh, ours, just to clear that up. Yeah. yeah. We have two different. It, it's yeah. third best <laughs> yeah, at, at best. Yeah. Uh, for most of the week, I was hoping to do something about the First Lady's new nickname being TBC. Uh, but we'll have to save that for another time. Oh, I'll have to guess what it is, I guess. Uh, more important things have surfaced in Neil Pert's comments. Uh, apparently, there's going to be an interview with Neil in a magazine called Drumhead Magazine. Um, and Drumhead Magazine cleverly released this quote. Okay. Lately, Olivia, that's his daughter, okay. has been introducing me to new friends at school as my dad. He's a retired drummer. True to say, funny to hear. And it does not pain me to realize that, like all athletes, there comes a time to take yourself out of the game. I'd rather set it aside than face the predicament described in our song, Losing It. Sadder to still watch it die than to never have known it. So the internet was amok sure. with Neil Pert has announced his retirement talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I speculated that maybe that quote was taken out of context a little bit. That the only word, the only, like, this is something his five-year-old daughter is saying. Sure. You know, are retired we sure yep. that he's a retired drummer because his five-year-old daughter said it? And then I read it again and said, 
Well, maybe he is being pretty definitive in the sense that after that he says that it's true to say, Mm -hmm. uh, but funny to hear. And my guess is that when you read this full interview, uh, he's going to say somewhere in there that they're not doing long tours anymore. And that's something that we've all known for a long time. And the other guys of Rush who are always talking more because Neil does very little press. And that's been the case since about 1996 when his first tragedy of two really horrible tragedies in a row happened. Um, and as far as his daughter's concerned, I mean, I'm sure Rush's music is not her wheelhouse. No. So as far as she's concerned, she might think, well, my dad was this guy that used to be really, really, really famous. I mean, they're still huge. She's, she's five. Right. Yeah. Right. So I, I just wasn't sure at first, and then I thought maybe. And then today, uh, someone did get to Getty Lee uh, to ask him to kind of clarify it. Uh, and it says, Lee believes Pert's retirement talk was merely commenting on his current state in regards to extensive touring, which was my initial thought on the quote. Uh, The bassist's words were slightly ambiguous concerning the future of Rush, as they've been all along. Uh, He stated, there's really nothing to say. I think Neil is just explaining his reasons for not wanting to tour uh, with the toll that it's taking on his body. That's all I would care to comment on. Uh, Moving to the group mentality rather than speaking for Peart, he continued, we'll get together eventually and we'll chat about things. But in my view, there's certainly nothing surprising in what he said. Neil just feels that he has to explain with all the thousands of people asking why no more tours. Mm-hmm. He needs to explain his part of it. Lee responded to a question asking if he believes Pert's comments were taken out of context by the media saying, I think that's absolutely right. That's their job. Talking about something when there's nothing to talk about. So I think what Gotti has a problem with here is my guess is in the bigger context of this interview, we're going to find out that right before that quote, they were talking about long tours. Sure. And they made, without that context, it makes it seem like Neil Peart is never hitting a drum again. Right. How many how many shows do they do a year? If they're not saying no long concerts, are they doing 10 shows a uh, year? No. I mean, they don't tour every year, first of all. Okay, right. And their tours have gotten smaller and smaller mm-hmm. because one, they can't find a way to make the shows smaller and smaller. Oh, okay. you know, so every year they're still doing three hour, 30 song concerts and they're getting old. I mean, this was our 41, you know, they wanted, it was called our 40, but they jokingly wanted to call it our 41. Cause it's actually the 41st year. Okay. Uh, but you know, 41 years of touring and they don't have short songs either necessarily. Right. You know, but, no, I think that nothing has changed with Rush. I think that they're probably never going to do a 20-show tour again. I absolutely think they'll play some shows every now and again. Barring a death of a member, I think you know they'll play a gig. Maybe they'll do a residency somewhere, play three nights in Toronto and play three nights in L.A. where Neil lives and maybe play three nights in New York and do it like that. I think they'll probably make another album. I think they really want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something you can do from nine to five every day and go home. Right. You know, Neil is very concerned not only about his body, but he has a five-year-old daughter. No one else in the band uh, has a new life that started ten years ago like Neil does. You know, Neil had to start over again from scratch when his wife and daughter died eighteen months apart. You know, and he has a new wife now and a new daughter now, and you know he's got to consider a young family. 
Whereas Gaddy and Alex, they don't have that to consider. Their families are grown. You know, Gaddy goes to every Blue Jays game, sits behind home plate, and relaxes when they're not working. You know, obviously we're talking about millionaires here. <laughs> right. I mean, these guys yeah, are they're not, not struggling. They're, they're not stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't blow their money on on heroin. Right. You know, and I'm glad that Rush is, is – look, at, I think nothing changed. I think – we knew for a long time. We knew going into the R40 tour, they said, come out because this could be the last time we're in your city. Uh, so I made sure to go out and I went by myself and we talked about that on one of the shows. Before you end. Yeah, I wanted to get. I wanted to go there. Okay. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say one more thing music-wise. Uh, you know, obviously this week, uh, Scott Weiland passed away. And today there's an article in Rolling Stone written by his former wife, Mary Wyland, uh, about how only the day that he the, he died this week only sort of in headline, that he's a man who's been dead for a while. Oh, yeah. That he's a guy that they've been propping up in front of crowds to well, we played the get one. another dollar. And we talked about it on the yeah. show. Uh, the clip of Vaseline that circulated in the spring and it was ironic because one of my friends is a really big huge Stone Temple Pilots fan he's probably in his top five-ish whereas they're probably in my top Mm 30-ish and he said you know as far as he knew they were playing those shows because of the massive child support he owed this lady who penned this article on Rolling Stone so take that for what it may or may not be worth but no it's another guy from our era who died because either he OD'd that day or his body gave out from sure. years of drugs. Yeah, I described it to someone as uh, the least surprising tragedy that you can think he of. He was probably would be at the top of the list of musicians right. alive that you wouldn't be surprised to find dead. Right. I don't know who takes that position now, um, but I'm sure there's an obvious one. Yeah. And look at, in some ways... Did Scott Weiland ever – was he ever meant to be 48? <laughs> you know, like was the life of Scott Weiland sort of meant to end 15 years ago before the world had to see the Vaseline video or go to the disinterested shows that he's doing to make child support uh, or after another fight or breakup or bad Stone Temple Pilots album? Look, I'm not saying I wish – Scott Weiland died at 28 like Kurt Cobain and – or 27. 27 yeah. Like Kurt Cobain and Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Morrison and all the others. Or a little bit later like Lane Staley who managed to hang on later but really lived the last four or five years of his life as a recluse. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, he didn't have kids so he didn't have child support. So he never had to go and prop himself up. He just died in recluse in his apartment in Seattle. Um. But somewhere out there is a really sad story about the life of a guy who was talented beyond anything the average person could even comprehend. I mean, as much as you may or may not like the Stone Temple Pilots, there's no doubting that Scott Weiland was one hell of a front man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could sing. He could command a stage. I saw them at Cornell University uh, in the in the hockey rink. You know, and you're right on the floor there, and it's a small, intimate place. And the guy was just in command. He was on. 
you know, and uh, he he was uh, he was a top dog, and um, you know, rock and roll is gonna miss him. <laughs>